0: So you say, well, I'm going to put everything I have into making this business work and have the impact I want it to have, then you do want to protect it. And then you you need to kind of own your space and go, no, I want to do it this way and I want to do it differently and I'm not a charity, but I do want to protect my legacy
1: the startup student podcast the podcast for students who want to be their own boss where students and experts from across the world and i christine give you practical advice we are looking into tips all around starting and marketing your own business as well as productivity to better balance your student and business life turn your idea into reality i'm your host christine let's start this episode Hello, welcome back. It's week two of the podcast series, Protecting Your Legacy as a Social Entrepreneur with Karen Lee Anderson, and she's back with me today as well for episode two. Welcome back, Karen. Thanks, Christine. As usual, I know I say this always at uh, the second, third and fourth episode of each series, but uh, I would suggest you listen to the first episode if you haven't yet, which was all about building businesses to change the world and also introducing Karen a bit more so you will get a better understanding of who I'm talking to in this episode. Um, However, today we're talking about locking in the legacy and there we will um, look into uh, really some some operational tools. Um, we will look into how you protect the loss of your impact because obviously that's what it's all about if you are a social entrepreneur. So, Karen, do you want to kick off the topic?
0: Yes, I think. I don't know how it stands on on IP, Christine, but I'm going to say when we're talking about locking in legacy, what we want to not do is end up like the body shop. So I'll just quickly explain how Mm -hmm. how that went wrong.
1: Is that okay? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay.
0: So in the body shop, um, Anita Roddick was a social entrepreneur and she wanted to build a business that did. everything differently. And I know last time we were talking about a focus. So she was focused on the beauty business, um, employing people fairly, but more around um, not testing on animals and how she accessed her products um, and paying a fair um, price to suppliers. And so the body shop grew and it was great. And Anita's presence and charisma as the founder controlled a lot of the legacy. And the operations, like the supplier agreements and the rules around supplying and the employment contracts and all those tools that are really helpful to make sure that the business is being run the way you want it to be run, were used. But the part that she didn't use was the final part, I think, which is governance and legal processes to really make sure that your legacy doesn't escape. Um, and so it meant that when she was no longer personally in control of the company, both in terms of being able to touch every employee and eyeball them and make them do what she wanted, but also she didn't own all shares, um, she she started to lose control. Um, and then, you know, it's a sad fact that not all of us will stay with our businesses forever and human beings are mortal. So we have to take into account that some part-time we will die. And um, Anita Roddick lost control because she sold shares, but also she, she died and the business was sold. And it was sold to L'Oreal. And L'Oreal, anyone who knows um, that the beauty industry is aware that L'Oreal has a really bad track record in terms of animal testing, mm. and they're not really hot on supply stuff. So when the body shop was bought, there was nothing protecting that legacy that it was known for, that the marketing and promotions and the operations were all built around. And I don't know about you, but if you were a Body Shop customer, I was like, hmm, I don't believe you. I know L'Oreal's track record. Um, the good end to the story is it's been bought by a B Corp that's committed um, uh, to people, plants, and profit. And, and they took it on from L'Oreal because not surprisingly, it didn't hit the profit targets I'm sure L'Oreal wouldn't divest themselves of a company that was hitting the targets they wanted and I think the reason why it didn't achieve in the portfolio that L'Oreal owns is because it just didn't fit because the legacy was out of sync with the ownership and that's what we really want to talk about with locking in impact is how do you overcome ownership issues and create a legacy that outlasts you and outlasts you in terms of your energy your passion your life, um, and your involvement, and power, and control.
1: Yeah, thank you for giving that example. Um, I yeah, I think uh, L'Oreal said also the ones that has keels and stuff, and try to be really natural and and these kind of things. So yeah, um, it doesn't really go. That well together if a company uh, that has a track record of exactly the opposite of what you were trying to avoid um, is um, buying your company and if uh, if it's after your death it's even even worse uh, but this can also happen whilst you are um, whilst you are actually alive so it's very important to to look at it whilst you are <laughs> alive and in control um, so what can we what can we do? What kind of uh, tools uh, would you think about? I mean, or what? What is the first step? We will probably be talking about clarity. We mentioned clarity at the first episode already about the, your your one business goal, your your purpose, your, the one impact you want to have, the biggest one that you are passionate for. Um, are we talking about clarity of the business model? Clarity of of what? of uh, things would you like to talk about?
0: you've you've got it in one the first step is clarity. Um, and there's there's kind of two ways that I've seen this work really well on the evolution of clarity and cre- and using the sort of governance structures um, to control your legacy. And the one is just get it sorted from the beginning. Um, and the other is to, kind of figure it out as you go along. But if you figure it out as you go along, you need to know what choice you're making and you need to know when you've run out of time. So the the figure it out as you go along is helpful because whilst you might say, this is the change we wanna make, you don't know until you start doing it what you'd say no to. So you mentioned the, the term I use, the not negotiables, but it's also based on what would you say no to? And I often find that that's mm-hmm. only really needed. You don't know what you're going to say no to. So you don't know what your not negotiables are. An example of that was um, I was working with an organization that um, worked in a, a very specific space of, called social prescribing, where it's about doctors being able to prescribe more than just medicine to people. And how do you connect to community providers and Um, gyms and knitting clubs and all sorts of different other things you can prescribe. And I didn't realize until I worked with them, what a deep theoretical complexity of systems there are in this space. And when I said to them, so what would you say no to? They went, oh, we were really clear on what we say no to. We've turned down large contracts when they have a top down approach rather than a community grassroots led approach. And so suddenly when we were talking about how to clarify what their legacy is and how to entrench it and protect it, we could write it in a way that says, we want to achieve this thing, which is social prescribing and we want to facilitate that, but we want to do it specifically with partners and stakeholders who work in a community led way. So that doesn't say that you won't work with anyone else, but it just says, this is what we really, really want to do. And so knowing that in advance allows you then to clarify it. Now, this organization, when they came to me, was doing it in advance of an investment raise because they knew that the minute they sold more than 25% of their shares, they would lose the control to change their their governance. Mm. So let's just dip into governance. Most um, countries, and I've I've worked across quite a few, um, have a constitution or, or articles that describe how the company runs. And in all jurisdictions, there's like, this is what the law says your company must do. And there's a whole lot of stuff you can't change. But what you can normally pop in is your purpose. And you can normally say, yes, we are a company, And we're going to be a normal company and behave like a normal company, but we also want to achieve this purpose. And so when we're talking about locking in your legacy, putting it into your articles or your constitution or whatever that legal document is that describes how your company functions, putting it in there in the DNA of your company means that in order to change it, people have to get tons and tons of shares in your company and outvote you and go, no, we're going to drop that. We're not going to do that. So I'd, because it's um, not not the same in all countries, I was just wondering, how does that sound from a clarity point of view to you, Christine?
1: Yeah, <laughs> very clear. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, no, I think it, it, it's very important. And again, again, um, i mean as a social entrepreneur uh, sometimes unfortunately it's a lot about also finding the money to run the business because in the end uh, you need to be able like you said in the previous episode you have outgoings so you need to get money in (laughs) it's a business after all and it needs to be sustainable also from a financial point of view um so thinking about when you're losing control of the company as in uh, because you're having investors or you give away shares or anything that uh, is something really really important to think about (laughs) and be super clear on that and maybe yeah get professional help on that as well because it's not so easy uh, depending on which country you're in and who you're talking to and also then being able to negotiate that so Knowing is one thing, but then being able to negotiate that with the other um, opposite, basically, is another skill. And I think on the knowing to
0: negotiate it, um, when you want to create a business to change the world, you need to accept that you're doing business not as usual. And so people will go, oh, you want to be good, so why did not you just make a charity? or oh you you want to be good so create an NGO or work in the public sector or just you know like normal companies are just good it's fine it's fine you don't have to do anything special um and and if you consciously want to say with what we talked about in the previous episode around don't waste anything if you actually say well I'm going to put everything I have into making this business work and have the impact i want it to have then you do want to protect it and then you you need to kind of own your space and go no i want to do it this way and i want to do it differently and i'm not a charity but i do want to protect my legacy so there's a little shortcut that i'd like to share on, on creating your legacy and it doesn't matter where you are in the world i think so i probably can't talk about businesses that change the world without mentioning b corps yeah. um, Have you talked about B Corps before, Christine?
1: No, we haven't, actually. This is I'm so happy that we do now.
0: (laughs) So a B Corp is basically a marketing badge.
1: And it was created
0: by an organization that had first tried to change the world of business by creating a legal structure. And this was in the UK. I mean, in the USA. So in America there's a legal structure called the benefit corporation and it's in 48 of the 50 states and obviously in America every state does it differently but basically it says we're creating this organization to create this public benefit. So that's where the sort of benefit corporation sense comes in and there are different degrees of control. So when you set it up in some states and you say this is the purpose you can't change your mind and go, oops, I think I'd rather do this. It has to stay in that purpose. And others, if you have X number, X percentage of your shareholders all want to change the purpose, you can. So there's this element when you're talking about blocking and legacy is how long you want to lock it in for. And B Corps are a nice example on that because a benefit corporation has that. Sometimes you lock it in forever and sometimes you don't. Obviously, in our most jurisdictions, you have charities that are a legacy impact locked in forever, and then you have a variety of ways of of length of time. So we'll get on to length of time in a moment, but let's get on to the B Corp badge. So in the USA, this organization called the B Lab said, well, we're going to create a company that's going to change the world. And it just took a while to happen in the US. And benefit corporations just trundle on, and there's lots of them, and it's fine but it didn't really catch on in the rest of the world. So they came up with this thing called the B Corp badge where you have to do a test that checks all your operations. So, you know, when I was talking about the body shop, I was saying that Anita Roddick created operational systems that embedded her legacy. Mm. So the body, the B Corp says, what are the operational good things you're doing around protecting people, planet and running your business well, profit. You do this test out of 200. Um, it's it's a very useful tool if you want to run an organization well, because it gives you lots of examples of how to do things well, whether it's environmental or employee engagement or community engagement or ownership. There's like tons of useful things and it's free. And if you get over 80 out of 200 on this test, which means you've implemented the processes, it's all around implementing processes to protect good governance then you are allowed to be- get the b corp badge and then you have to pay um, and it varies around the world um and in a, the second stage of getting the b corp so you do the tests second stage is you pay the third stage is before they give you your badge you have to put a clause into your company constitutional documents saying this is my purpose and it's a very light touch purpose it's like you're trading for the benefit of the people planet and um to be profitable because they don't want zombie Mm. companies that aren't profitable Mm -hmm. but what's really clever because it's a marketing tool and the b lab have wanted to get B b Corp badges everywhere around the world they've got lawyers in most countries to figure out how to change the company articles company constitution company dna to include the b corp clause so if you look at the b corp clause and you check what the rules are for your country the lawyers who help set up the rules in your country to make something a B Corp will be able to help you and will understand that you want a business with purpose. If you say, well, I want to be more than just a B Corp because a B Corp is just, I want to be a good company. Whereas if you want to create a business that really wants to change the world, we need to come back to that specificity. I mean, say, what is the big purpose I want to make? So a lot of organizations I work with, we say, well, we want to be nice. So we'll put the B Corp clause in. But we also want to really change this thing. So we want to help people create social prescribing that's going to um, make people's health and well-being better because it's connected to community-led organisations. And so whilst normal B Corp lawyers wouldn't put that second detailed purpose in, because they know how to put the B Corp clause in, they can help you get your purpose in.
1: What else do we have that we want to mention
0: so I did kind of whiz past the concept of locking in your legacy one is what's the purpose Mm. and the second is this longevity issue part of Mm. the longevity issue is something that's oddly enough lots of um, tech companies are using just called an asset lock so I've been talking about you Putting into your company constitution, your articles, your DNA of your company, this is what we want to achieve and be really clear on that. Um, But the way it works in tech companies, and it happens in other companies, but it's like more obvious in tech companies because we've got big organizations like Microsoft, like Google, Oracle Corporation, who will buy up other companies. And what they do is something called asset stripping which means they buy a company and they say, I, I like that tech. So they take the technology, the intellectual property of the technology out of the company. So they asset strip it. They literally take the thing they want out and they close the company down. So they buy it, they pay the founders out, but all they really want is the tech. And you might say, okay, well, that's fine because then Google has my technology and they'll spread it around the world a lot of the time they buy it to put it in the cupboard to protect their technology because they don't want competition. And it doesn't only work with IP and technology, but it also works with if you have a great system and you have lots of great customers, someone might buy you just to get access to your customers because a good customer and supplier contract might include or not include, depends on how far ahead you think that um, I'm your customer, whether this organization owns me or not. So as long as the company keeps delivering a solution, the um, person who's purchased the solution from that company can't say no. And so sometimes people will buy the company just to get access to that customer and say, now you must buy what I want you to buy because I'll just deliver it. So that's what asset stripping is. It's it's taking a a company and saying, I want this piece. They might want an employee, one specific employee, and they'll buy the whole company just to get that employee. And so when they do due diligence on the company, they'll make sure that the employee's contracts tie them in really tight so that it's hard for that employee to just walk. And they will try really hard to keep the employee, but they might not keep anything else in the company. And so what I have found is as technology entrepreneurs have become more keen on seeing their technology actually do what they made it to do. So even in the tech for good space is happening is they create what's called an asset lock. So they put in their company articles, this is that we want, the assets have to be used for the purpose we decide they have to be used for, rather than you can just take it out and dump the company. It's a useful protection in that it says we want the company to continue to exist with this purpose and you can't pull it apart. Um the the way it doesn't work is if someone buys all your shares, then they can do whatever they like. Whereas as long as, um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got more than one shareholder in the space, it allows you to have an asset lock. So, and an asset lock just gives you that length of time rather than just um, for a short period of time. Um, does that make sense?
1: Yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, these are all things. Uh, that, I don't know. I, um I I guess you can get all this information, of course, online and stuff, but it's not what you think about and put on your list immediately (laughs) and then try to research and try to talk to someone about it. Um, Because obviously everyone has their best interest um, in in their activities, and that means also investors and shareholders. Um, have their interests in mind um, even though of course they also have your best interests in mind however um, we're talking about being a business and uh, sometimes like you mentioned at the beginning as well um, as a social entrepreneur we forget that they, it is a business maybe because we're so focused on uh, achieving the, the outcome the impact that we want to have uh, that we forget about these things so very important thank you
0: and also as you and i said to each other i think after the last session is um we forget that not everybody um, is focused on the same inclusive positive impact that we are you know yes there are a whole lot of well-meaning people out there who just have their own personal interests that skew them but there are actually people out there who go out of their way to take advantage of stuff you don't know yes um <laughs> and yeah uh, and when we last time we sort of talked about um, social impact and value, and I said that one of mine was around economic empowerment and justice and equality and playing fair and being nice. And I, and I kind of see this as one of my little hidden agendas is um, there's a lot of people who know about this. But for whatever reason, they don't bother to tell entrepreneurs because it makes life much more peaceful for investors and even directors and shareholders if you don't know all of this because you don't ask uncomfortable questions. And I like to, to just take what I call it the sort of secret hidden handshakes that people have inside and go outside and say, so do you know that this is something that you can do? Do you know that um, they're not telling mm. you it because they think you know, but... They don't really care if you don't know. Yes. and I, and i I want to empower entrepreneurs to own their legacy.
1: Yes. Mm. Thank you. yeah, that uh, I, I, I had um one series with another social entrepreneur. Um, and it's always interesting to hear about how helpful people also can be. So if you do ask uh, and if, uh, if you do meet the right people, you will find people that say, oh, did you know you can do this? Do you know you can do that? Um, but for sure, um, no matter what you do in your business, if you get shareholders, uh, in, if you get employees in, in co-founders, uh, CEOs, whatever um it's always good to ask someone who's done it before ask someone you can trust who can give you maybe some tips maybe something that they found challenging maybe something that went wrong that you can avoid um and that's what it's all about you know learning also from each other yes, yes. Hmm. okay any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap it up uh, extremely interesting uh, and uh, made lots of notes and I hope this is also uh, useful to the listeners. So or I, I know it is actually useful to the listeners. So thank you for for sharing everything you've done so far.
0: I think the final thought is around saying no. So, you know, we talked about not negotiables and so what you say no to is quite helpful in clarifying your social. Ah, yeah. But I think we often think that you say no to something because it's bad. <laughs> and I, I think the thing to mm. remember is. Coming back to the theme that you and I talked about even at the first session, which is what wasted, um, carefully looking after resources and not wasting anything, is you might say no to something that's good because it's not the best. And so often you don't say no to something because it's not a good thing to do or because it's not nice or it's not positive or it's not got an impact. But is it the thing that's going to be the best? use of your time in this moment and so rather than going well obviously i'm going to say no to all these bad things be aware that in order to grow your business and in order to grow your impact and the change you want to make in the world
1: you'll have to say no to things that are really good it's just not the best that is correct although i have to say it sometimes can be difficult to know what's good what's not good and there's a lot of trial and error in life and in in business not only as social entrepreneurs, and we learn from everything. And again, it's about the sharing, asking for advice that can help um, to avoid that. But de- doing some internet research. I mean, today we have all the information, fake or non-fake, unfortunately, <laughs> at our fingertips. Um, however, you can do research uh, if, if you if you're not sure, or if you think, okay, let's let's have a, have a look if there's anything that's better than this, or more efficient, or cheaper or has more impact almost is more sustainable or whatever the 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 or is um, you can try to at least uh, find out and maybe ask in forums Uh, again we we mentioned uh, false compliments, uh, uh, but now we need to also be aware of uh, fake. um, fake advice, (laughs) so this is what I mean. um, with. uh, Unfortunately, and fortunately, we have everything online and can do some research, but it's always best to get recommendations by someone you can trust um, and recommend another person that they trust. <laughs> yes. Is, uh, how it works. No? Thank you so much again for this and I'm looking forward to the third episode, which will be coming out next week so far um, I've learned a lot and I know it has been useful for everyone who's listening again if you haven't listened to the first episode feel free to do so and then we will be back next week with the next one thank you Karen thank you Christine